Thanks, Brandon. Good morning again, and welcome to High Wealth uh, Church. Like uh, Leah said earlier, we are glad that you are here, so thanks for joining us. Usually as a church, we preach through uh, books of the Bible, just front to the end, verse by verse. Uh, but for the next six weeks, uh, starting last week, we're in a sermon series that we're calling, What is the Church? So for six weeks, we're going to look at uh, different phrases or titles that the New Testament or Jesus himself gives his church. So last week, we looked at the church, how it's called the gathering of Jesus. This week, we're going to look at another common name given to the church, the sheep of Christ. And so as I was preparing for uh, this sermon, I uh, saw a, a news article. Well, it wasn't a news article. It was on Facebook. Uh, so it must be true. But actually, I, I did see it. It's made into a kid's book. So some of it must be true. But have you heard about Shrek, the sheep? Named after Shrek. Uh, but anyway, it was a sheep that wandered away from his owner and for six years, like, lived in a cave without its owner. When they finally found Shrek, uh, he looked like this. So normally, when a, a sheep is about to get shorn, sheared, sheared, shorn, shorn. Uh, they have about 10 pounds of, of wool on them. Shrek, when he was found, had 60 pounds of wool on him. And uh, after he got a, a little haircut there, they uh, realized it was enough wool to make suits for 20 men. And uh, I don't know what suit a man wears that's made out of wool, but they must wear wool suits in Ireland or wherever, Scotland, wherever this is from. But the point of this story, uh, as I was reading this story, I thought, why did God create sheep? Like, why, why did God create an animal that, uh, without a human taking care of it, ends up looking like that, you know? And so, um, I know some of you love sheep. Uh, uh, one of our office manager here at Hiawatha, Becky, loves sheep. Um, so I might have to convince her a little bit more about how silly sheep are. But... Yeah, so my, my big question when I read this article is just why, why did God create sheep? An animal that needed a human being to care for it or else it uh, has a really hard time surviving or if it does survive it, it, it looks like this. Um, and I think we don't have a full answer to that question, right? But we do know part of the answer at least. Why did God create sheep? Uh, one of the answers is he created sheep to help us better understand ourselves, better understand who we are, Better understand who he is, who our God and our creator is, and better understand our relationship to him. So this morning we're going to be looking at this phrase that Jesus uses, calling his church, his people, the sheep of Christ. And we'll be looking at uh, John 10, uh, verses 7 through 15. And just in case you're wondering, this is, this is Jesus, not just a random shepherd guy holding a sheep. So uh, if you grew up like me and you maybe thought Jesus was, had uh, white skin and blonde hair and blue eyes and kind of looked like surfer slash hippie, uh, he actually probably more looked like this. So just to be clear, that's Jesus holding the sheep. So uh, if you want, you can flip to uh, John chapter 10. It'll be on the screen so you can follow along if you'd like or uh, you can open up in your Bible or your app. It's also on the insert of in your worship folder there too. John chapter 10, starting in verse 7. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flee. 
and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. All right, so in this great passage that's uh, probably familiar to most of you, even if you don't know much about the Bible at all, uh, Jesus being a shepherd, it's probably kind of familiar to you, whether you know this passage or whether you know Psalm 23, maybe the most famous psalm that talks about the Lord is my shepherd. You maybe just kind of know about this. But uh, let's look at today's passage. Let's look at Jesus describing the church as the sheep of God. So first, let's look at the sheep. So Jesus is our great shepherd. We are called his sheep. Christians, members of a church are called sheep. So first thing we need to see is that we are valuable to the shepherd, right? That's one thing we should pick up. So just like uh, in, in, in real life, a shepherd who has his own sheep, they are valuable to them. They provide wool, they provide milk, they provide meat, uh, in ancient times, and even still a little bit today, they provided horns for things like trumpets and holding oil. So likewise, all humans are made in God's image. And unlike anything else in creation, humanity was made to bear God's image. And because of this, humanity has been given incredible value, worth, and dignity, different than anything else in creation. So regardless of anyone's position, their wealth, their power, what family they were born into, what uh, time in history, all humanity, regardless of their position, has inherent given just within them because they're creating God's image. They have inherent dignity, value, and worth. And even beyond that, if you're a Christian here today, as Christians, we too are valued by our great shepherd. But unlike human shepherds, Jesus loves us because we are his. He doesn't love us because we are valuable to him. Jesus doesn't love us because we're providing things for him, like a sheep does to a shepherd. Jesus doesn't love us because we perform or because we give or because we serve him. But he loves us just because we are his. 19th century British uh, pastor and author Charles Spurgeon writes about this. He says, Jesus stands in the same relationship to his people as a shepherd does to his flock. He prizes them because they are his. He takes care of them, remembering them both night and day. His heart is never off them. And because of his inward love, there's an outward goodness that he constantly extends to them. He protects them from the world. He guards them from a thousand dangers. He supplies all their needs. He guides them in the right way. He brings them back when they wander. He strengthens them when they are weak. He carries them when they are too feeble to go on. He sees that they are a weak flock, a silly flock, and a wandering flock. Therefore, he is their strength, their wisdom, their righteousness, their all. So we are valued. If you're a Christian here today, you are valued by our good shepherd, not because of what you do, but because you are his and even though, like I said, we all as humans have inherent value as image bearers of God, even though we're deeply loved and cared for and chosen by the great shepherd, it's all this great news we just heard, there's also some definite downside to Jesus calling us sheep. Things that are true about us in our human condition and our sinful condition and our rebellion against God, things that we don't like 
to hear. Things that make us feel a lot more like Shrek the sheep than we'd like to admit. And that is, number two, we are weak. If we are sheep, we are weak. Notice Jesus did not intentionally say, you are my uh, eagles, you are my bears, you are my lions. Right? Some, some animals that live on the top of the food chain or who are independent, who are uh, kings, but rather we're called sheep. And Jesus is not trying to embarrass us or to, 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 to slam us or to slander us, but rather he wants to show us just something because he loves us, what is true about our reality. We're more like sheep than we are like lions or eagles or bears. And whether it is the, the thieves that are trying to rob and steal, whether it is the wolf, the wolves in, in, in uh, John 10 and Jesus' uh, passage here, we have enemies that try to devour us for dinner, that try to destroy us, to steal, to kill, like we saw in our passage. We are sheep, and sheep are vulnerable. Sheep have enemies, and we are weak. And like sheep, we cannot protect ourselves. Sheep don't have any natural self-defense against predators, right? They're, they're a domesticated animal. They need masters. They need humanity to survive. So when a bear or a lion or a hyena or a jackal uh, shows up and comes after them, the only hope that the sheep have is that they're faster than the slowest sheep, right? Or else they're going to be the dinner of whatever predator is after them. And that's by design. Sheep need a shepherd by design. They need someone outside of them to protect them. They need someone who's not a sheep to care for them. Not another sheep, not even a greater sheep, but rather something that's completely different than them. They need a protector and a provider. They need a shepherd. And us too, we need help. We are weak and we need someone outside of us, different than us, better than us, in order to protect us and provide and lead for us. But sheep, they aren't only weak, they're also uh, very foolish and not the most intelligent animals out there. Even uh, I read a few quotes from farmers who called sheep just flat out stupid. And so I know that might be hard for you to hear that Jesus calls us sheep and then if we put two and two together, we realize, hey, sheep aren't just cuddly and, and, and cute, but they're also weak and they're also foolish. So if that offends you, feel free to email me at chris at hiawathachurch.com. If you're new here, Chris is the other pastor. So that's why they're laughing. But this is actually good news, right? Uh, we too are foolish. Sheep aren't the wisest animals in, in the kingdom and in God's creation. And so uh, Jesus wants to help us see something. Again, he loves us deeply. And we're going to hear that on refrain throughout the whole morning. But he wants to tell us that we in and of ourselves are not wise enough, are not brilliant enough to, to find our way back to God. He tells us that we're foolish because he loves us and because he values us. And he wants us to see our need for him, our incapacity to work ourselves back to God, to figure it out, to be smart enough to figure it out. He wants to show us the need for the gospel to come to us, not us to discover or work it out or to figure out the gospel through logic or wisdom or knowledge or intellect. And again, 
Jesus does this to be, not to be disrespectful or to slam us, but to tell us, this is just your reality. This is just who you are, but you're not alone. I love you, and I came for you, and I'm your good shepherd. Most of us here, in, in reality, we're just normal people, right? Most of us in this room, we're not too impressive. We're not powerful, beautiful celebrities. We're not wealthy, important royalty. We're not the most brilliant or intelligent uh, or successful people in our schools or workplaces or neighborhoods. I mean, some of us might be, but, but at the whole, we are just normal. We're, we're a church filled of weak, unimpressive, unwise uh, people. And notice why Jesus brings this up. He's not trying to disrespect them or, or push them down or beat them up. But he is showing them that even the makeup of his church is supposed to demonstrate the gospel. Or another way we could say that is if the gospel were some mystery to solve, or, or if the gospel was a reward to earn, then the church would be filled with the most brilliant and intellectual people. If it was a mystery to be solved, or if it was a reward to be earned, the church would be filled with the most powerful, uh, most hardworking people. But that's the opposite of the gospel, right? We are saved by grace alone, by God's unmerited favor and mercy towards us. Not by solving mysteries, not by working hard, not by deserving a reward, but rather just because he loves us, just because of his unmerited grace. So the church being made up of, of just normal, unimpressive, even weak and foolish people like me and you is proof of the gospel. We're saved by grace alone, not by works, not by brilliance, not by being born into a certain family, but by grace alone. Jesus' message here, as you're probably getting and feeling right now, Jesus' message here in John 10 is not one of self-empowerment. He's not telling us sheep to just look deep inside to kind of find the strength that we need to fight off the hungry lions. Jesus is not telling us sheep to just love and accept ourselves and then everything's going to be okay. As if a sheep's self-esteem leads to it, fighting off lions and finding water and going to green pastures. So Jesus is not saying here in John 10, sweet little sheep, Hiawatha Church, if you just believe in yourself, you can defeat the hungry lion. But rather, the point of John 10 is for us to see our need for a shepherd, not to be a lone, independent sheep. The point is for us to see our need for the good shepherd, to see our weakness, our lack of wisdom, our need for protection and provision. And when we do, when we realize our reality and our state and our situation, we celebrate. We're not alone. We have a shepherd. We have a great shepherd who values us, who loves us, who knows our names, who has chosen us, who says to us in reality, sweet little sheep, realize your need for me and never forget that I'm here for you. Never forget how much I love you, that I've chosen you, that I've saved you, that I've called you into my flock, into my family. And oh, do we have a great shepherd. So we talked about us as sheep. Now let's look at Jesus as the good shepherd. So Jesus coming from the line of, of, of shepherd-type kings, like King David, uh, we don't have time to unpack all the 
tons of stuff in the Bible about leaders and shepherds and kings and the Messiah coming and all this stuff. Uh, unpack it in your community groups this week. Talk about it with your family and friends. Uh, lots of really cool stuff here. But we see Jesus coming as a good shepherd, as a new type of even greater uh, ultimate shepherd king like King David, if you know that character in the Old Testament. So now let's look at our good shepherds. Let's look at Jesus. First thing we see here uh, in the passage, Jesus calls himself the door. And by this, he means Jesus is the only way in which we can, beca- in which we can become a part of the family of God or part of the flock of God, Jesus' flock. Jesus is the only way by which we can become a part of the people of God. So we saw this twice uh, in our passage here today. Verse 7, Jesus said, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. And later again, he says in verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pastures. So you're probably wondering, and as I was wondering and I first studied this, so is Jesus the sheep or is he the door? Like are we... I'm confused here. We're mixing metaphors. And the answer is yes. You are confused. I am confused. And it's both. So uh, in ancient days and even kind of right now with shepherds, um, there would be a a sheepfold kind of like this, right? So whether it's literally out in the wilderness with, you know, rock fences or whether it's a cave, whether it's uh, connected to a village or not, or or just like some high walls. The point is that there was a sheepfold, a, a pen, if you will, with a door And guess who sat in the door? The shepherd. So when Jesus says that I am the door, he's telling us that the way that we enter into God's kingdom, so if we consider inside the sheepfold, inside the pen as as God's kingdom, or entering into salvation, or entering into God's family, the way that we get in there is through the shepherd. It's through faith in Jesus Christ, our good shepherd. The way that we enter into God's kingdom or to Jesus' flock is through Christ himself. And actually later in John, we read the same thing. Jesus says to his disciples again, he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father, so no one's reconciled to God the Father. No one enters into God's kingdom or into Jesus' flock except through me. So when Jesus calls himself the door, that's what he's saying. I am the way that someone moves from death to life, from outside of the flock to inside of the flock, from outside of God's kingdom to inside the kingdom. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus says, no one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus is is the door. He's the way. He's the means that we are saved. And not only the door, like we've been saying, Jesus also calls himself the good shepherd. And throughout history, if you know anything about Israel's history, all of their leaders, nearly all, all of their leaders, their prophets, their priests, their kings, their judges, all were poor shepherds, were bad shepherds that either used the flock for their gain or abused them or neglected them. Uh, Lots more we could talk about this. Uh, We're not going to, but if you just know anything about Israel's history, we, we know that they are just very used to bad shepherds. And in contrast to that, Jesus is a good shepherd. And then even here in John 10, Jesus contrasts himself with the the hired hand. So think people who are not shepherds. They're acting like shepherds, but they're just getting paid for a job. And when uh, something bad comes, they they just run because they have no skin in the game. These aren't their sheep. Or Jesus compares himself to thieves and robbers who just wanna steal and kill and rob and use these sheep for their game. Jesus compares himself 
So the hired hands, the thieves and the robbers lead sheep to death, whereas Jesus, the good shepherd, leads sheep to full, abundant life, both now and in eternity. The hired hands, the thieves and the robbers come to steal, come to kill and destroy, whereas Jesus, the good shepherd, leads, provides for and protects his sheep. The hired hand abandons the sheep when danger comes, but Jesus lays down his life for the sheep when danger comes. The hired hands care nothing for the sheep, nor do thieves or robbers, but just use them for their gain. Whereas Jesus, the good shepherd, knows his sheep by name, giving up, his, giving up even his own life for these sheep. And Jesus is not, he's not just a good shepherd in comparison to all the loser shepherds that came before him or with the, the thieves and the robbers and the hired hands who want to kill and destroy. But in everything about him as our shepherd, Jesus is good for us. And he even says that he lays down his life for his sheep. Three times actually in the surrounding passage. So our passage is kind of right in the middle of Jesus talking about himself being the good shepherd. Three times in this passage, Jesus uh, reminds his listeners that he is the good shepherd that will lay down his life for his sheep. It's important that we, we pick up on that and that we know that. Jesus knows his mission. He knows what he's supposed to do. He, he tells them ahead of time that he's not just a teacher, not just a leader, not just a rabbi, not just an example, but that he's a shepherd that has come to die for his sheep, to die in their place. Later on in uh, John, Jesus says, uh, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. So contra the, the idea out there that God the Father is angry and wrathful, and that Jesus didn't want to go to the cross, but either was forced to, his arm was twisted, or he just wasn't powerful enough to say no, or whatever false idea that is out there, Jesus knew his mission. He knew that he loved us. He knew what he had to do to save his sheep. And again and again and again, he says, I lay down my life. And here in verse 18, he says, no one takes my life from me. Not Romans, not the Jewish religious leaders, not even God the Father, but I lay down my own life. I have the authority to do it or to not do it, and I choose to do it. And as we wonder why, why would Jesus do this? Why would he go through something so hellish and, and the worst death ever? Or maybe you think about Jesus in his full humanity, uh, the God-man in the Garden of Gethsemane before his crucifixion. Maybe you remen re remember him sweating blood. Maybe you remember him speaking to God the Father saying, let this cut pass. I don't want to have to die if there's any other way. So what made Jesus choose to go through this? What made him decide to lay down his life? When, he, when even in, in, in his humanity, he knew about the, the suffering and the uh, abandonment that he was going to receive. Hebrews 2, or 12, 2, gives us a look into what was going on. In Hebrews 12, 2, we read, Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So Jesus joyfully went to the cross because of his love for you and me. Jesus joyfully laid down his life. It was his mission, and it was out of his love for us. 
So this next part, we're going to talk about this great doctrine that we've just been talking about. Jesus is the good shepherd. We are the sheep of Christ. This next part, we're going to talk about, so how does this look? How does this play out in our local church? So if you're not a part of a church or part of Hiawatha here, this is how Jesus created his church, how it should look ideally when, uh, yeah, it's how, how God designed it. If you're a part of Hiawatha Church, this is just great insight to understand what God is doing here in our church and why Jesus described it and, and created it this way. So how does this play out here at Hiawatha Church, this doctrine of we being the sheep of Christ and Jesus being our great shepherd? Three ways. The first way that we see this play out is that we don't boast about ourselves. We don't brag about ourselves. We brag about our Savior. We brag, we brag about our good shepherd. And of course, we're not perfect at this. Of course, we're, we're sinners. We're not, uh, don't always do this. But by God's grace and because of the Spirit moving in our hearts and in our church, this actually happens all the time. We don't boast about ourselves. But we boast about our Savior. We realize we're just normal people. We're weak. We're foolish. We're vulnerable. We're unimpressive. We're just sinners who are saved by a great Savior. And when we gather, we don't declare our own greatness to each other. We don't walk up and shake people's hand and, 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 and tell them all the great deeds that we've done uh, this week. Hey, I've, I'm Spencer. I've made this much money this week. I've read this many Bible passages. I uh, look really impressive because I did this. Brother, when we gather, what do we do? We celebrate and we brag and we boast about our Savior. And in fact, when we gather together, we celebrate the greatness of our Savior. We gather as sinners who need a Savior, as sheep who need a shepherd, taking him very seriously, but ourselves not too seriously. In the New Testament, uh, the Apostle Paul writes a letter to a church, church very much like us in a lot of ways, and he reminds them who they are. Just a bunch of normal people. Again, like Jesus, not trying to slam them or, or, or slander them, but rather to show them what's true of their reality and why that's even a good thing. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 uh, through 29, we read Paul writing to a church just like us. Brothers and sisters, consider your calling, he says. Not many were wise from a human perspective. Not many powerful, not many of noble birth. But instead, God has chosen what is foolish in this world to shame the wise. God has chosen what is weak in this world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in this world, what is viewed as nothing, to bring to nothing what is viewed as something, so that no one may boast in his presence. So let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Boast in their Savior. Boast in their God, their shepherd. And not only do we boast of our God alone, of our Savior alone. Secondly, how does this play out in our church? We even boast in our weakness, our weaknesses. We don't just point to a perfect, great Savior God, but we even boast about how imperfect, how sheep-like we are, how in need of a Savior and a shepherd we are. And it's because we are secure in the gospel. We are secure in the sheepfold of Christ. Because it's not about us having to be good or smart or impressive or hardworking or attractive or brilliant. It's because we don't have to be those things or else that we actually can be real, vulnerable, authentic. We can even boast about 
our weaknesses. The gospel creates the only truly safe place for us to be ourselves, to confess sin, to be real, and to still be accepted. Because it's not about us being good in order to be accepted, but rather Christ's perfection is given to us. And that's why we are accepted. Think about the world, the world that says, be yourself, don't put on a mask. Let's value authenticity and realness and vulnerability. Would that same world accept you if you really told them your past? If you really told them the thoughts in your heart or your motivations or your words or how you treat people behind closed doors? The same world that says, be yourself, be true to yourself, speak your truth, you are enough. Would that same, what would that same world say if you said, actually, in my heart I have racist uh, motives? In my past, I've done sexist things. I've hurt people. I've slandered them. I've lied about them. Would our same world accept us? No way, right? Pitchfork Nation would come after us and, and crucify us, right? But the church is actually the only safe place for us to really be ourselves, even boast in our weaknesses, even say, let me tell you about just how broken and sinful I am. Yet Christ has still saved me. Me, a horrible person. Jesus has still saved me. So we don't brag about our accomplishments, our power, our wisdom, our intellect, as if it was up to us to build up our credentials and resume so that Jesus would accept us. Or that we need to do great things in order to be loved by God or even loved by others in the church. But rather, if there's anything or good or beautiful or powerful that comes out of us, we realize that it is the spirit, within, the spirit inside of us. He's the one that is doing these great works or creating such beauty or power. Or it's God's common grace that anything good could come out of a sinner and a sheep like me and like us. So we boast in our Lord. And not only that, but now in the gospel, we can even boast about our weaknesses. Second Corinthians, Paul, same guy writing to the same church, uh, so he's telling us about something that happened with him, about how he's boasting in his weakness. So he speaks, uh, he's speaking to God, but God said to me, so this is Paul speaking, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. So Paul had a weakness. Paul had something he called a thorn in his flesh. And he begged God, take this away. Take this away from me. And God, for whatever reason, chose to say no. But then told Paul this. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. If you were only strong, Paul, you would think that you don't need me. You would think that you are strong enough, complete enough. But rather, if I leave this imperfection, this weakness in your life and don't supernaturally take it away, it's going to force you to see that you need me. And then when I still use you, it's going to show you that my, God's power, is made perfect in our own weakness. So Paul is telling us, this is what happened. And then look at Paul's response, the next verse. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So the church, Hiawatha Church, other local churches that are out there, 
when we are imperfect, full of sinners, and unbelievably messy and broken, that's actually an apologetic for the gospel. It's support of the gospel actually being true. It shows that God doesn't save people that are all put together, that have no past, no baggage, no doubts, but rather that Jesus saves people who are imperfect, who don't have all the answers, and who are still full of sin. Christ came to save sinners. And when we gather as a church, that's what we proclaim. We're not, as, as the famous saying goes, we're not a museum full of saints, perfect saints, just to look at each other and say, wow, you are great. You've done some good things. You are impressive. But rather, we're a hospital for sinners. And when we gather, that's what we're proclaiming. We're in need of a savior and a good shepherd. When we gather as a church, we're demonstrating our need for a Savior and that our hope is in the gospel alone. And then the third way that we see this good news, this, this good doctrine play out here at Hiawatha Church is that we are given shepherds, not just our great shepherd, but we're given shepherds within a local church who spiritually and tangibly care for us as an expression of, of our good shepherd, or as First Peter 5 calls Jesus, our chief shepherd. So if you're new to Hiawatha, or maybe just don't know this right now, we have four pastors, four shepherds, four overseers, four elders, all those words interchangeable in the New Testament. Uh, myself, Peter Carlson, who led worship this morning, Mark Edwards, and, and Pastor Chris. Um, so listen, we're going to look at First Peter, another New Testament passage that's written to pastors, written to elders in a church, telling them what they should, how they should lead, how they should shepherd the church, and telling the church what they should see when they see uh, a church having these shepherd, leader, overseer, pastor types. First Peter 5, 1 through 4 says, So I exhort the elders among you. So Peter's writing to the, the, the pastors, the elders of a church, and he tells them, very similar language, right, to, to, to John 10, shepherd the flock, shepherd the church that is among you. Exercise oversight. <clears throat> not, under, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being example to the flock. And when the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ, appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So Jesus, the great shepherd, tangibly gives every local church smaller shepherds pastors, elders, overseers who shepherd the church as an expression or as a tangible example of him. So what do they do? We look to John 10, what Jesus says, as well as uh, 1 Peter 5. What do they do? Just like Jesus, the good shepherd feeds us, protects us, leads us, so do elders, so do pastors in a local church. And the main way that they do that is through preaching and teaching of the word. That's the way that we are fed that's the way that we are protected. That's the way that we are led uh, most of the time in a local church. Pastors are called to protect from all different kinds of evil, just like a good shepherd uh, protects against, like we saw wolves, uh, robbers and thieves, and hired hands. Pastors in a local church do the same. They protect us from false teachers, from evil doctrine, from lies, and from heresy. And they feed us through the teaching of the gospel and God's word on a regular basis when we gather together. And they oversee and they lead the church away from sin and away from lies and away from death and towards our Savior 
and to the life that he gives us, this life, abundant life, both now and for eternity. So pastors are gifted to local churches to be tangible and visible shepherds, always uh, meaning to be a picture, to point to our great chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. All right, hopefully so far you've seen that this doctrine of, of, of the church being the sheep of God, about uh, Jesus being our good shepherd, hopefully this is, we've seen that this is good news, but we want to end each, each of these sermons in this series ending with just being very clear. How is this truth, this name about the church, this description of who we are, how is it good news? How is it uh, linked or connected, related to the gospel? So we want to do this, be very clear. First way we see that is, that we are sheep, right? Starts off with some bad news here. We are sheep. We're weak. We're foolish. We cannot save ourselves. Yet, even though we are weak, foolish, and unable to save ourselves, we're chosen. We are wanted. We are protected, even to the point of our shepherd dying for us. So what might seem or start off like bad news, or at least unflattering news, right? That we're sheep, that we're helpless, that we're foolish, that we're weak, that we're without hope of survival unless someone's stepping in and protecting us. It might start off and seem like bad news, but it is because of our state as hopeless sheep that makes the news that we have a shepherd so great and so important and so powerful and life-changing and good news. Tim Keller writes about the gospel like this. He says, this is the gospel, both sides, right? We are sheep, we are weak, yet we are unbelievably loved. He says, this is the gospel. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. So we need to hear. We need to hear both of these truths. That we're helpless, hopeless sheep, and at the same time, we have a good shepherd who himself will love and protect and care for us and lead us. Our shepherd loves us so much that he didn't just risk his life, but rather he even gave his life for us, the sheep. So let's think about Jesus here. He's not just, although this is true, he's not just a good shepherd that stands at that gate. Remember, think about the, the pen, the sheepfold. He's not just a good shepherd that stands at that gate and kind of like waves his stick that's got the little curly thing at the end at the bear that tries to come in and eat the sheep or gets out his sling and tries to protect. He's not just that, even though he is. But he even lays down his life. He says, hungry lion, hungry wolf, I'm going to lay down over here and you can devour me so that your hunger is satisfied and so that you leave my sheep alone. That is our shepherd who loves us. He doesn't just risk his life for us. He gives his life for us. I saw this inspirational quote uh, this week and I wanted to share this with you. It says, wolves don't leave... Sorry, wolves don't lose sleep over the opinion of sheep. Which I thought, I thought hey, that's pretty great. But then, it, but then it continues. It says, believe in yourself, you can do it. And I thought, this is what the world tells us, right? The world tells us, don't worry about people, what people think about you. Believe in yourself, you can do this. And the problem is, if we believe both, both these truths, we are in trouble. Or the second one's 
not a truth. It's false, to be clear. Or if we kind of back up to what Tim Keller is saying, or when we talk about us being sheep that are weak, yet unbelievably loved, we need to hear both of these things at the same time. Because if we just hear one, if we just hear you are helpless, hopeless sheep, if that's all you hear and all you believe, what does that lead to? It leads to hope or uh, hopelessness and despair, right? You just give up. You say, well, I know my past. I know my history. I know my heart. I know my motives. I know it's, I suck at everything that I'm supposed to be great at. If all you believe is we are helpless, hopeless sheep, that leads to despair. But if you only believe the other, if you only believe that God loves you so much, then you don't really care that much about needing a shepherd. You just think that you're pretty great in and of yourselves. You don't really need a shepherd, and it leads to pride. So both hopelessness and pride, despair and arrogance are both sins. So we need both of these truths to help us just see our reality. We need both of these. So back to this quote here, uh, Wolves don't lose sleep over the opinions of sheep. Yes, that is true. But that second line is not true. And Jesus tells us, yeah, that's true, but guess what? You're not the wolf. The problem is you are the sheep. The first sentence is true. But rather, you're not a sheep. And so the wolf out there, the the enemies that we have of Satan, sin, and death, they don't care about how much self-empowerment you have. Or they don't care, they don't get, they don't lose any sleep over what opinion you have of them. New Testament talks about Satan being like a lion that's just prowling, looking for those that he can devour. In our passage today, the thief comes to, to steal, kill, and destroy. They don't care about your opinions. We're a sheep, Jesus tells us. Jesus loves us enough to tell us the truth of reality. Whether we think it or not, we are sheep and we are in need of a shepherd. So the world tells us this. This is kind of how it plays out in the world, or even kind of in the Christian world too. We're just told that if we believe in ourselves, right, if we look for the light inside of us or the strength within us, we can stand up to the wolves in our lives and say, I am a strong, independent wolf on the inside. Wolf that wants to eat me. I believe in myself. I can do this. But this is the reality. This is what happens? If all we have is the one truth that we're made in God's image, which is true, that we have great dignity and worth, if that's all we have, then we're going to stand up to our enemies and they're going to say, uh, we're going to foolishly stand up to our enemies, wolf, lion, whatever it is. And if we don't remember that we're helpless, sinful, foolish sheep in need of a Savior for protection, thinking that we're a wolf on the inside or strong enough on the inside, our real enemies of Satan, sin, and death will devour us. They don't care about our self-esteem or our self-empowerment. It's not going to do much good except give the wolf a chuckle as he is destroying us and devouring us. But thank God this doesn't have to be our story. Apart from Christ, this is our story. Apart from Christ, we have no hope of standing up to death or standing up to Uh, our sin and trying to defeat it on our own power. But thank God this doesn't have to be our story. We don't have to be strong in and of ourselves. We don't have to be important or brilliant. You don't have to be enough all by yourself. But we have a shepherd who is enough, who is powerful, who is brilliant, and who gives us more value than we could ever imagine just because he calls us 
his own because he loves us. The second way that we see Jesus being our good shepherd, seeing this as good news, is that we are insignificant yet loved to death. So it's good news because we are weak yet we're chosen, wanted, and protected by our shepherd. But it's also good news because we are insignificant yet loved to death. And not just loved to death like your grandma when she hugs you and pinches your cheek and says, oh, I just love you to death. But like loved literally to death. He loved us so much. He went to death so that we could live. And even though we've been talking all morning and hopefully you've heard this and, and received this, we've been talking all morning about how we are powerless to save ourselves. That we need something powerful outside of ourselves to save us. Even though we, many of us have heard this for, for you know, years and years, we've heard it a bunch this morning, I think it's still really hard for us to believe that, to receive that, to feel that, right? We're Americans, right? We have lots of privilege, we have lots of power in our lives. We, uh, it's really hard for us to, to believe that we are powerless. But that is true about us. Uh, listen to what Rebecca McLaughlin writes about this, speaking about what Jesus came to do. She says, At the cross, the most powerful man who ever lived, Jesus Christ, the God-man, submitted to the most brutal death ever to save the powerless. Or the New Testament says, Jesus came not to save the healthy, but to save the sick. Or Jesus came not to save the righteous, but to save sinners. The powerful God-man came to save the powerless. We are powerless. We are sheep. Do we believe that? Now, this is crazy when we logically try to think this through. When we really think about a shepherd, not just protecting the sheep again, which, which he does, but even like, like, like I said, laying down and saying, come consume and devour me, enemy, so that my sheep may live. We should just be stunned when a shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. But we're often not affected by the scandal of the gospel. We might agree with it, ascribe to it, but in our hearts, in a, even a little bit, we think, well, I am pretty important or significant or great. Of course, Jesus would die for me. So I want us uh, to look at this really short video clip here that will hopefully help us feel, feel the scandal of the gospel of a shepherd dying for his sheep, of creator God dying for creation. Some of you might have seen this clip before. If you're at the men's retreat, you saw it. But a few years ago, there was these great wildfires in uh, California, and this news station picked up a scene. So we're going to see a guy trying to make a daring rescue. With fires continuing to rage across Southern California, burning through more than 90,000 acres by Thursday morning, video footage captured by the public has filled social media. Among the clips, several show animal rescue traffic into a burning bush captured the moment when a man went in for a daring animal rescue. With smoke and flames all around and traffic speeding by, the man attempts to first locate the rabbit, then, frustrated, dramatically wades into the brush after it, flushes it out, and then scoops up the rabbit, clutching it to his body as the video ends. So I don't know what your first thought of when you see that video. Uh, I know some of you might love rabbits. Alex and Louise, who are here first service, have pet rabbits. Um, but my first response, hopefully you don't 
think I'm too cold, but my first response was, that is crazy. What, what is that guy doing rushing into flames to save a rabbit, a, a wild rabbit that's probably going to run back into those flames as soon as he puts it down? It's stupid, right? This is scandalous. Why would a human being risk their lives for the sake of such a lowly rabbit? I don't get it. It's strange. It's scandalous. It's even kind of like, in my, in my logical brain, it's, lo- it's, it's wrong. Like, uh, you, you look at social media when this came out, and he was called a hero. Everyone loved him. Such a great hero. Risked his life for the sake of a rabbit. And in my mind, I'm thinking, that's just wrong. That's just stupid. It's so silly. Why are we praising this guy for doing something so just scandalous and foolish? Yet, that's the reality of the gospel. God became, uh, became human in order to rescue us. And not just risk his life by running into the fire to pick us up, but he actually gave his life. He didn't just risk his life, but he gave his life. He laid it down. That's the scandal of the gospel. Multiply what you felt uh, when you watched that, that video by a billion times, and we're just scratching the surface of the shock, the scandal that we should think of when we think about God himself in the flesh not just risking his life for the sake of us lowly, human, uh, rebellious human beings, but that he gave his life by running into the fire for us. So when we hear about the gospel, when we hear about a shepherd putting his, himself between danger and us, and even dying in our place on the cross so that we wouldn't have to, we should think the same thing that we just saw up here. Scandalous, wrong, That's not good. It's stupid. It's crazy. Yet it's good news. It's it's unthinkable, but it is the gospel. The gospel that describes our situation, describes uh, our good shepherd, and describes the love that he has for each and every one of us. Let's pray.